Hi friends, welcome to Coffee with Caregivers. I'm your host, Jess Ronnie, also known as Jess Plus The Mess. I'm an author, speaker, and founder of The Lucas Project, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing recognition, resources, and respite to special needs families. I created Coffee with Caregivers as a space to bring awareness to the struggles that families often face, including difficulties related to finances, mental health, and everything else in between. It is my belief that stories can change the world, and through conversations with caregivers, I hope to provide awareness which will lead to compassion and resources. Thanks for joining me today, but first a word from our sponsors. Welcome to Coffee with Caregivers. I'm Jess Ronnie, and I am here today with Lisa Candera. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to get to know you a little bit better. I know we follow each other on all the social social media channels and um, you know comment on each other's stuff. And I'm just excited to get to know your story a little bit better. So can you just share with my listeners who you are, what you do, what your role is as a caregiver, and um, we'll go from there. Sure. So my name is Lisa. I live in Connecticut with my son, Benjamin. Um, he is about to turn 14 in a couple of weeks. He is my only child and um, I'm a single mother. So we live here, just the two of us. Um, my profession, I'm an attorney. Um, and I also recently became a life coach for moms raising kids with autism. I, um, uh, my son was diagnosed when he was just a little bit over the age of two. And back in the day, they didn't have levels of autism. So, you know, he's just autistic and um, now I you know people say level one, level two, level three. I'm not really sure which actually direction mm -hmm. this level go into. So he is what the shorthand would you know be, you know, he's called high functioning in that he appears most of the time to most people to be like most other kids when, you know, really not say he's not like most other kids, but he is dealing with um, internal stressors that are invisible to the outside world. But when they are triggered, I would argue you might not call him high functioning anymore. <laughs> okay. And that's interesting before we hopped on here and before I pressed record, we had a, a good conversation even about those labels. And I think mm -hmm. that that can be such a difficult topic um, because my Luke is low functioning and we do the air quotes mm -hmm. because right. <laughs> you know we we need language to describe our circumstances and I was saying to you that sometimes it rubs me as a mom a little bit the wrong way when people say they don't like those labels because with Luke he has so many diagnoses and autism is just kind of the cherry on top of everything and he will require total care for the rest of his mm -hmm. life and I often feel unheard when people try to diminish that label and just assume that he just has autism, but it's low functioning autism. And I want to say, no, he is overall like low functioning. He will require total care for the rest of his life. And you, you responded a little bit differently with your circumstance with the high functioning and how yeah. you often don't feel heard because of that label. So can you just explain, I think your perspective a little bit on that? Sure. I mean, so high functioning autism, I, mean, I think really is, you know, it's invisible to the outside world. I mean, people will, I mean, this is a complaint or, you know, you'll, you'll hear people say, 
other young people, parents with autism, when people say, oh, I couldn't even tell he was autistic. He doesn't look autistic. And I, in my mind, what they're saying is he's not flapping. He's not banging his head against the wall. I mean, really stereotypical mm -hmm. behaviors when all you know of high and low is, you know, high functioning autism is like, you know, Sam from atypical and low functioning yes. <laughs> is a kid with a helmet on. I mean, right. I mean, these are very extreme, but like, here's the thing, like if you don't. Right. So there's, you know, the, the, we, these ideas that we have of what high functioning and low functioning looks like. And so. Um, for a child who like doesn't really present like in um, you know most of the time to um, you know like the naked eye, they don't people don't really understand you know it's a problem. And so for my son, when his anxiety we really skyrocketed with the working I mean for work from home, school from home because of COVID, and um, you know trying to explain that to his teachers as he um, entered you know seventh grade the following year, they we're having a really hard time with, you know, sort of understanding like, you know, how acute he really was. And it took him engaging in some pretty sort of drastic behaviors to truly get their attention. Okay. And yeah. And for me, I get kind of panicky. I think when people are trying to remove that label, because I'm like, no, we desperately need all the services and all the support and all the resources. And if you erase that label, then we don't get anything <laughs> type of thing. Oh no, so. yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I guess I'm not, I, I guess I'm not looking at it from that perspective at all. I'm looking yeah. at it from the perspective of not seeing what's going on because right, right. they can't see it essentially. Right. No, and I totally understand that. And I think it's, you know, forums like this where we explain our perspectives as a parent, like it's not that I love those labels so much. I'm just terrified that you eliminate that label and you just call it autism, that we won't get the supports that we need and the resources yep. that we need because he is total care for the rest of his life. And so mm -hmm. you do try to paint this picture to the world so that you qualify for things that you need yeah. to make his life better and your life better. So it's just an interesting perspective. And I think it's just talking through it, you know, with other caregivers and saying, oh, that's where you're coming from. Okay. I respect that. I get that. And, you know, let's yeah, just no, be respectful. Interesting too, because when my son was diagnosed, I mean, there weren't levels, so to mm -hmm. speak. It was just either you were, or you weren't. And so, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I totally see what you're saying. And, and I for sure don't mean it in a way of removing services. I mean it more actually in getting more services, right. I think for, at least on the high functioning and you're kind of, yes. I think there's autism and maybe there's lower functioning. I I don't know, maybe that's yeah. the way to go, but the high functioning, I think is really tricky because if you put my son in a certain set of circumstances, you'll see anything but high functioning at yeah. that point. And I think we're both after the same thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> don't take away our services. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. So yeah, I mean, there's common ground there. So with his autism, how how does that present in your life and in his life? What do you, what behaviors do you see? There is just, um, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of perseverations. And, um, you know, for the past year, it's been sort of difficult to see what's been driving the bus. And he recently, recently was diagnosed with OCD, which seems to be, I mean, there's autism and OCD are, as you know, comorbid. And there's so many similarities between the two of them because of the perseverations and the rigid thinking. But OCD brings in another level of, you know, ritualistic thinking and having to close the gap. And so 
his very black and white perfectionism from, you know, that, you know, sort of always, um, you know, that came with the autism is been amplified with the OCD because he's like added some extra almost rules onto himself of like how he has to satisfy himself that he's like done things adequately. And so, and then whenever there's anything that is like a question mark, I mean, he hones in on it like, you know, immediately and then just starts to like, um, you know, question it and question it. And before, so what I would do is I would always try to answer the questions and explain to him like in ridiculous amounts of detail, like how he didn't have to be worried about something and everything was okay. And this is what explains this. And now I've learned, I just, I react completely differently. I'll just say, okay, I think we've answered this question. What's happening now? So he can sort of like be the watcher of his mind to the extent that he can. And if he can do that, to sort of like get him out of the perseveration. But when he's really locked in, there's, it's just like this, it's, a, it's just a loop, it's like a skipping record. Mm -hmm. And so we deal with that, um, you know, in our day-to-day -day life, when there are any kind of changes that come up, it will trip that wire for sure. So you'll see the perseverations, um, they'll definitely be on an uptick. So it's, you know, it's really the same things as when he was younger is, you know, really trying to prepare him as much as possible for changes as they're coming along, really um, providing overwhelming praise when he is flexible about things, you know, mm -hmm. so he no learns that he's like building that muscle. And then just, um, you know, before, sort of embarrassing to admit, well, I was annoyed by it because there was part of it where I was like, just listen to me. I just told you the answer to it. And now being really like, oh, this is this is just all part of that, right? And being more accepting, but also being really comfortable in the boundaries that I try to create for him and for me. Okay. And not to oversimplify, but to oversimplify yeah. it, is it, yeah. is it kind of like Sam on Atypical with his penguins? Is that like the fixation? Yeah. No, so when the OCD comes, it could be really anything. So it could okay. be like, did, um, did I feed the cats? Do you think I fed the cats on time? I'm sorry, I didn't feed the cats. Mom, I'm sorry. And then it'll just jump to the next thing, right? And then it'll be like, um, mom, I got really mad at you when you weren't listening to me. I shouldn't have gotten mad at you. And his OCD is what you would call just right OCD. And so it's very much like always trying to like, make sure he's done things the correct way. He's apologized the correct way. And then he starts, will start like looping in his head. Like, all right, Ben, you know, better than that. You can do better. So you'll hear these pep talks, but like, it'll just, it could really just, it's like snowballs. And so right. like just getting in there and trying to like cut it off, not in a stop it way, but in a what's going on. Right. How can we redirect? And so he sounds like yeah. a dream child. Like, he I'm does. so sorry, mom. How can I yeah. do better, mom? When <laughs> like, you're saying this, you're like, you know, but I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, we were like, when I say debilitating, you know, he would have to say, excuse me, but he'd have to say it a certain number of times. Then he'd have to look at me in the eye. He'd have to make sure that I received the imprint. And like, this is how, like, we couldn't move three steps without like these rituals going on. And then, you know, of course, okay. medication changes and things like that yes. can really help it. But when it's happening, it's like, it's, it's intense. And like, you can just see somebody who's like, you know, cry. I'm like, I can't stop this. I can't stop it. And you know, that's right. That's what, what does his future look like? Um, idea at this point or? Well, I mean, he is, I mean, my hope is that 
with um, he's currently outplaced to a special school then we're doing a lot of different um, you know testing just to sort of see um, you know if there's anything else that's going on and and really also trying to see what the best learning environment will be for him so mm -hmm. um, you know my preference and this is really just from a selfish parent's preference this is not his preference is that he stays in the small school safe environment and they take care of him <laughs> okay but you know he wants he's very social like he wants to go to high school he wants to engage in all those ways and i do want that for him but i also um i really want to take the time now to like understand as much about him as he's presenting now because it's changed significantly mm -hmm. and what will best support him as he goes forward but he wants to be an activist he wants okay. to be an activist for people with autism you know okay. he spent some time in an autism inpatient hospital and he saw kids who um he said you know they needed people to help them in the shower and things like that. And they weren't able to do that. And he's like, and I think I would be really good. I think I could help them. And okay. so I mean, he has like a wonderful like spirit about him. He's very much an advocate for others. Okay. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and sorry, I forgot where I was going to go. <laughs> I, my, my brain had one train of thought and then you said something and I veered off there. Um, so do you think like college, eventually is that something that he would be interested in and yeah i think he he is interested in it. it's definitely a possibility i you know i it's so like i remember when my son was diagnosed and there was like uh i was like there's somewhat of a relief to it like in a couple of ways it's like you knew what was going on you had more understanding and i thought well now that it's called something you know now we can get resources mm -hmm. But there's also part of me where there was sort of like almost like getting out of the rat race in a way like there yeah. would be no like you know let's try to do what everyone else is doing let's right. make sure that we hit all the milestones when everyone else is doing and i could like that freedom when like he gets to be who he is and gets to figure it out like whenever like however he does it and i'm mm -hmm. just going to be here to support him yeah, and all children should really have that freedom, but unfortunately, you know, society and society's expectations make a different plan. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. So as his caregiver, what would you say is the most difficult part of autism for you? The, I would say the predictable unpredictability of it, um, that we'll be going along and we'll have like, you know, like a I, well, last year we had like a consistently like sort of really 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 rough patch mm -hmm. and that was actually consistent so but um you know we're going when things are going along and then all of a sudden it's like bam like you know something that was working is no longer working and then you're having to recalibrate and so i've had the experience many times of feeling like i did when he was first diagnosed of like almost like you're starting from scratch mm -hmm. and you're trying to relearn your child and then with that fear of like will i lose what i already have you know and i had a really fear last year when ben was declining is that he was regressing in a way that like i was going to lose him in some mm -hmm. sort of way because it was you know it was drastic there was a lot going on chemically and hormonally within him and um and so i think that's been the hardest part of like you know when you hit those bumps i mean you know that you can come back from them because you have before but it like i feel like it brings up all that that fear that just sort of lives inside of you 
yeah and it takes you back it's like this PTSD yeah. moment this yeah. fight or flight like we're really going yeah. back here again and we're really doing this all over again um we've seen yeah. a lot of regression too and it's so frustrating to think you know when you were eight or nine you did this just fine like for example putting on a winter coat we just moved from Tennessee to Michigan when Luke was a little boy, he put on a winter coat just fine. Like it wasn't a big deal at all till he was 10, 11 years old. We moved to Tennessee. There was really no need for a winter coat. Now moving back here, won't put a sweatshirt on, won't put a winter coat on, won't put anything on. So we're back to the drawing board of like trying the weighted vest. And he does that for yeah. like two seconds and rips it off. And it's like, but you're going to have to wear a winter coat <laughs> in Michigan. Like there's right. no ifs, ands, or buts about this. So it is. It's so frustrating. It gets my anxiety up because it's like, do you force the issue? Like you have to wear this coat. It's cold, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. You're immediately taken back to like, we're seriously going to work on this all over again. And yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been, that, that's definitely one because, you know, I think part of and I, my denial last year when my son was having a really difficult time is that he had ended sixth grade right before the COVID shutdown. Like he had participated in a school-wide or a grade-wide um, like geography contest where he was up on the stage. I mean, he was just in all of his glory. He was so excited and so happy and just this shining sort of smile on his face. And, and then dealing with what I was dealing with last year and just mourning Mm -hmm. that you know yep. just mourning and he was mourning it too and I was just mourning like all of that just hope and um life and just you know drive and now this child is shaking in the mm -hmm. car and won't get out of the you know and won't get out of the front seat and will do anything he can not to and so yeah that was pretty crushing yeah it's just this continuous cycle of like grieving and rejoicing and <laughs> grieving yeah. and rejoicing but then you know that's kind of what life is too I mean and I think about my other my typical kids like it's the same sort of thing it's grief and rejoice and moving them forward into their own path in life how can people best I guess respond or approach Ben you say that he he appears very typical very normal so is there anything that you would like people to be aware of, like when introducing themselves or getting to your, getting to know your child? Not really, um, you know, because he he's very verbal, very social. He'll probably take the reins on the conversation. If there's anything that I will like say to people, like if he goes too far down a rabbit hole of like asking them detailed questions, like I'll I'll be like, okay, we're good. Right. I mean, because he will he'll go far. Yeah. <laughs> like even today, he's getting his you know his weekly blood draw, and he's you know talking to the nurse. He's like, oh, you know, what time do you get up in the morning? How do you like it here? You know. He's like, just going on and on and so you know then he's like asking her like more detailed questions about the blood and where I was like okay like we can <laughs> right right and I guess for me it's all that really is not a problem for them or for him and if it's a problem for them they can handle it but I guess what it is when I now that I'm saying and I'm realizing it's my own nervousness mm -hmm. that this conversation is never gonna, not never gonna end with her, but it's never gonna end with me. Right. Like we're gonna be in the car and he's gonna be like, well, I don't understand why she said this. And, and like, it's almost 
Yeah. So I, I definitely need to watch that because like, I'm really just trying to manage my own anxiety at that point when I right. try to control his experience. You know, it's going to drain you later on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Probably. I guess you would say I'm an extrovert. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. So maybe it won't drain you. Maybe it'll yeah. like give you the well, energy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know. Just sometimes with him, I guess it's the worry that like, oh no, like this is one of those things he's going to get stuck on. And right. like, is this going to, is this going to be the thing that trips us, you know, right. and not wanting that to happen. Yeah. So yeah. Back again to your own anxiety about what this yeah. is going to look like. Definitely. Well, as a caregiver, and this is coffee with caregivers, um, I'm a big believer in self-care and I know that you preach that as well with your coaching. Um, yeah. Are you able to incorporate this? I'm assuming because you are a life coach and you know, it's very important. And what does this look like for you? Yeah. I mean, it's basically an essential. Um, I wouldn't be able to do what I do for my son if I didn't take care of myself. And last year, you know, just, you know, on the heels of the COVID lockdown or, you know, the quarantine and then everything that was going on with my son, there wasn't much, you know, going on in terms of social interaction. Um, and I, so, you know, I, people would say to me, like, you know, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. And I don't know that I really appreciated how important that was until I was press the way that I was pressed last year with, you know, all the hospitalizations, the ER visits, and just the high level of aggression within my own house that I started to make like really firm boundaries. Like I'll hire a sitter so I can take a walk if I have to. I mean, aggression I from have... aggression from Ben from because, my son. because he wasn't in school. And is that what that no, came so from? It was, it was once um, school resumed and he didn't want to go to school. Okay. He was eloping, but that he just was basically like, what do I have to do? Quite literally, who do I need to hit to get out okay. of this? And that person was me a lot of times, okay. right? Like not like it was like getting him on the van in the morning. We had neighbors, <laughs> school mm -hmm. resource office. I mean, it was a thing, right? And so I just made it like a really concerted effort to like, if, if I didn't do anything, it was like, I'm just going to complete the stress response cycle after each of those things. So like, you know, when he left in the morning, like I would take a walk, I would do jumping jacks, like rapid fire jumping jacks, just to sort of release the adrenaline from my body. Like, um, I did a lot of meditating. I would say mostly just really a lot of walks, talking to people. I and mean, there's so many ways that you can engage in self-care. The coaching was one way I did it. It was just like, really, like, instead of having locked in my head, all of these thoughts and fears, like putting them out on the table and sort of looking at them and talking to them about to someone and, um, you know, understanding them and in, in, in a context really helped me and just processing the emotions. Like when I, um, I was so heartbroken so many of the times and I was trying to like weather that for me and for him. And then like, just kind of letting go of that and just sort of like letting myself like be devastated when I was, right, you know, right. Just, stealing it and just, yeah. And just processing it and not trying to keep it together for me and for him or to convince him to feel a way that he didn't feel. Because there was a lot of that, right? There was a lot of like, we're going to go to this new school and they're going to help you. And I was so desperate for all of these solutions to work because I didn't really know, like, what are the options here? He won't go to school, right? you know? And so, so yeah, I think that there's so many forms that self-care can take, but I don't think that, I think it's like, it's, 
you know, it's like, we're our kids' greatest resource, right? Like I see that say this all the time to my clients. It's like, there's no doctor, there's no therapist, there's no medication, it's us. And so like how we take care of ourselves will impact our ability to take care of them. And, you know, with moms, we always, it's almost like we feel like we need to tie or justify anything we do to ourselves to the well-being of others. So if, you know, we don't, but, you know, if it makes us feel better to like, just to know that if you are taking care of yourself, you will take better care of other people because, and I love this in your book, you talked about using fuel, you know, when you're fueled by anger, you show up in a different way than mm-hmm. when you're fueled by compassion and calm and, and other things. And so you really need to like be able to reset yourself in order to generate those feelings, because when you're constantly in the state of, you know, fight, flight and increased tension, like your, your body's going to stay that way unless you reset it. And so, right. So much there. Um, <laughs> you're speaking my language. At the Lucas Project, we have a saying, the child is only as healthy as the caregiver. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And this whole completing the stress cycle is a very interesting concept that I've only become familiar with, I would say in the last two to three years. And I read a couple of good books about it. Lucas ended up in ICU for six weeks um, in 2019. And that was extremely stressful because my husband would often spend the night down in Nashville with him. And then we were an hour away. So we were just like passing each other. Mm. I would go home and take care of the other seven kids. And I would be so stressed after spending the whole day in ICU with Lucas and then coming home to the other seven kids that we bought a disco ball and we hung it up in our basement and we would have family dance parties when mom came home. And I didn't even realize at the time what I was smart. Doing, so smart. <laughs> but like the whole family was like getting that stress out of their yeah. bodies. And then I would feel better. Like, okay, I can do this again tomorrow. But that became like a nightly routine almost. Let's pump on the music. Let's turn on the disco ball. And we're going to dance for 15 minutes as a family. And can you oh, just talk about that a little bit? Because I don't think caregivers necessarily understand that. Yeah, there is a fight or flight response. And I don't even know that I necessarily understand it other than that. I understand that I have to get that out of me somehow. So can you explain kind of what that cycle is and what that yeah. looks like? Definitely. So just to, I mean, to simplify it as much as possible, um, you know, this comes from C, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's a thought, you know, a thought, feel, act cycle. So you just think about, um, we think a thought in our minds and we have a feeling in our body and emotion and our emotions spur our actions, right? So when we're in a situation where we're in a, you know, we're, the, the feeling that's being sparked because of what's happening, you know, so if they say something like your child is screaming and that's triggering thoughts of like, you know, they're in danger, how am I going to help them? you know, I can't do this, you know, whatever those thoughts are and your fear, right? So the fear, so that those thoughts, sorry, there's a release of chemicals into Mm -hmm. your bloodstream, adrenaline and cortisol. And that, you know, gets you your heart pumping and all that kind of thing. That is the response within your body. So if we were animals like in the wild and, you know, the tiger was chasing us and we got away from the tiger, and we're safe, we're okay, we would shake off all of that adrenaline, release it from our bodies. 
well, here's a tiger is like our kid or like an email from our boss, <laughs> right. right? Right. Right. And so our adrenaline spikes up, we take care of the stressor. So give the kid what he needs. He's not screaming anymore. You know, respond to the email from the boss. He's satisfied or she's satisfied with the stress. We've dealt with the stress sore we haven't dealt with the stress that's actually in our body like you know the stress juice so mm-hmm. to speak right so the stress response cycle you know we're completing the cycle is like literally just shaking I actually call this part of my my framework shake it off right mm-hmm. this is how we literally shake it out of our body to so we can emotionally reset because even though we've dealt with the thing or maybe we haven't dealt with the thing because a lot of the times it's like you know, we keep it going and going and going for a while, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, something happens. And then afterwards, we think about how terrible it was, and how upsetting it was, and we keep that stress going. So we're keeping ourselves in that elevated cortisol adrenaline state. And so to make, making conscious effort. So with my son, after I got him on the van, after yelling, screaming, him yelling, screaming, destroying things, punching, running, whatever. I mean, my heart rate was definitely up. As soon as he got on that fan, I was doing rapid fire jumping jacks to just like release it from mm-hmm. my body as fast and best like as best I could because you you feel the physical effects and you can feel that oh and you just knowing over time that they um even if you can sort of power through it, you can't do that in your entire life. Like you'll burn out yeah. literally, you know, physically and mentally. And so um, how we care for our bodies and our minds and our emotions is like, it's just a, it's a critical piece of all of this. Does it have to be something that's high intensity or can it be like yoga stretching? No. Yeah. It, it can really be anything like any, any kind of movement, yoga and stretching, what you described as the dancing, um, with your family, like really hits on two things. So it's the movement aspect of it, but there's also the community aspect of it. Like we're together, we're safe, you know, we have mm-hmm. each other. So like, that's, you know, other ways you can do it are, you know, a big, ugly cry that's worked for me. Oh yeah, past. me too. <laughs> yeah. Calling someone else and just sharing, like mm-hmm. I've done this so many times with my best friend where I was like, I just, I, I want, uh, you know, and, and I would just sort of almost release it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, after you have that cough, you may cry and then you just feel a little bit lighter. Like those oh, yeah. are ways. there's ways of like doing, um, um, like tension, tensing your muscles and then releasing them. Right. So you start at your toes and you work your way up, you, you know, tense for five seconds and then just release all the stress. And so um, I'm trying to think of their um, of other meditations, another way and you know, slow, deep breaths, just okay. really coming into your body. And a lot of this is also while you're doing all of this stuff is like, I want to say turning off your brain, but yes, turning off your brain right. because when you're like, oh my God, you know, what's it going to be like when he gets home? Oh my God, what's he going to be like when he gets home while you're on the Peloton? It's not going <laughs> to Right, right, right. Right, so you're kind of just be like, right now I'm riding my butt. Right now, this is what I'm doing and really trying to direct your attention if it's for, you know, 30 minutes or five minutes, but just really trying to, when you're going on that walk, be mindful about whatever you're doing and keeping your brain um, like redirecting your brain because your brain is like wants to go to the thing that's scary, the thing that's going to kill it and try to like, you know, think about it and over um, focus on it. Like that's just what we do as humans. We were programmed that way. And so we want to like 
um, be able to like use our prefrontal cortex as best as possible to um, rein in sort of like, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the amygdala hijack, but that's what happens when okay. we're in that fight flight zone. And it's like the toddler in our brain is like running the show. And it's like, we almost want to like come in as the adults and just be like, okay, <laughs> I see what's going on right. here. Let's this settle down instead. Right. This is what we're doing instead. Right. And okay. so it's like a lot of purposeful redirection. Yeah. And so over time, you know, it's so funny because I would take my son to the therapist, you know, for his anxiety and the therapist would be like, okay, well, I want you to take a couple of deep. And my son's like, oh, not again with a deep breath. And I, I have to tell you, I have that reaction too. I'm like, seriously, right. but it's like, no, it's like those really deep, shallow breaths is our way of signaling to our bodies that we are safe, mm -hmm. that we, and when we're, our bodies get that signal, then, you know, our systems, you know, slow down. We're not, you know, pumping, you know, our blood really quickly. And because what happens when you feel yourself like heating up and your, your heart's racing, you start thinking, oh my God, I'm panicked. Oh my God, right. I'm panicked. And right. you just are really like perpetuating the cycle. Um, and so it's like really just sort of trying to come over top and like be really deliberate in how you direct yourself. Can you demonstrate what that looks like? The deep breath yeah. that you talked about. So like, I'm frantic, I'm freaking out. My kid's screaming, you know, I have eight kids. I'm yep. like ready to blow my top. What do I do? So um, <laughs> there's, there's two different ways that people really respond to this that I teach. One is just the four in, hold it at hold. for seven and then blow out for eight. Mouth just or nose? Mouth. Okay. In through your nose. So just think of breathing in, you know, the smell of roses and then blowing out a candle, but slowly. And so, and I would, I would say to my, my son, like, you know, we're going up to the Empire State Building. So if we're at the bottom. We're going to go all the way to the top. We're going to stop and let some people in. Now we're going to go all the way down. And I would just do it okay. like in this rhythmic kind of way. And like, we would just kind of like, you know, you'd have to, you have to do that for about 10 times yeah. to, and not thinking about like, this isn't working. Am I doing it right? Right. <laughs> just and do it. Focusing on the breathing in and, you know, and even the counting to just really like taking yourself because we live in our heads. We all mm -hmm. live in our heads so much. It's just really bringing yourself back into your body, like in the most primal way of breathing. Right. No, I think it's amazing. And I've been doing breath work for a couple of years now. And it's funny, even as you're talking, I think intuitively, I, my body knows what it needs because our mornings are completely chaotic around here, getting everybody off to school. And then every single morning I go for a two mile walk and just like shake off the stress. And then yeah. I come back, I do my day. And then all the kids come home at three 30 on the dot again, completely zoo, like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then at like 4.30, after that chaos all kind of settles down, I come in my bedroom and I do 20 minutes of stretching or yoga before the dinner rush. So yeah, as you're talking, I'm like, I didn't even really know what I was doing, but my body knew like that book, the body keeps the score, like yes. my body knew what it needed. And it's me, I think, obeying what my body's asking of me to do and following through on that. But um yeah, and that is so important, and it's such a lost art. We've totally have missed that because we're, we live so much in our heads, mm -hmm. and like we we really we're almost we ignore our body. We power through, 
Yeah. Right? As Americans, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we like, like, just get it done, power through. Like, you know, I would say I could do anything for a week, like finals week. I could stay up all week. I could study. I could do all that. But then I'm like a mess, right? And right. it's like, um, but like, you don't have to, it's like, it's like learning how to like really like listen to your body so that like, you're not always powering through and then you're just like taking the breaks as you need them. And we, um, you know, and even like something like self-care, I mean, I've been, I would say like, you no, know, in terms of like the, you know, the, the culture of just go, 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 you know, I thought of self-care as like an indulgence, like that's like mm-hmm. people talking about brunch and bubble baths and like, right. So I actually you know, like reframed it for myself. It's like, this is like sanity management. Like mm-hmm. this is essential to how we operate. And let's like, and then I think about like all of the professionals that I hire into my son's life, I wouldn't ask one of them to treat him if they were like running the way I no. run myself into right. the world. Right. <laughs> right? And, and you're no, like, you're no good to anybody if you're dead. So either yeah. you're going to take care of yourself <laughs> so that it's like the ultimate threat. Like our, like as you know, mothers, but I would say always, especially as special needs moms, like our greatest fear is what happens when we're not around. Mm-hmm. And we almost like expedite that in the way that we yeah. plow ourselves into the ground the way we're, while we're here. Right. And we shouldn't like, we need yeah. to take that time for ourselves. I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of caregivers. And I love even the demonstration and all of the helpful tips. And I I hope caregivers take it to heart and really start to implement some of this. Um, I have three questions that I like to ask each guest. And the first one is, how has being a caregiver changed you? It's made me more of who I am. Honestly, like I'm an advocate, like at the core, like Mm -hmm. I really am. And so I actually feel like being a caregiver has, um, oh, well, it's maybe more of who I am, but it's also opened my eyes to how much caregiving is about me and not my son. Mm-hmm. I mean, although I am doing it for him because I love him, there's so much of the things that I was overdoing that were about me proving myself and my good enoughness as a mom. And um, I, so I've learned so much through peeling back that experience of like how to be um, happy with myself and how to replenish myself and not looking to my son or my parenting to validate me as a person. Ooh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, I can, I can resonate with some of that too, because yeah. I, through raising Lucas too, like, I didn't really know I had an advocate in me either, but like now my whole life is kind of about advocating for the caregivers. And it's just funny how you like through your own circumstances, you like land exactly where you're supposed to be in life. And that's where you find your purpose and your joy too. It's kind of an yeah, amazing no, thing. I completely agree. And it's just so interesting. And I would just say like, I, I've talked to so a lot of parents who have, I have one child. So as I said, but I've talked to a lot of parents with multiple children and say like one of them is autistic and the other children aren't. And they'll say, but I'm a good parent. I mean, look at my other kids. Like you can tell, like I do all these things. It's like, no, you're because it's like the, because you know, the proof with the proof of our parenting is how well our kids are doing. And if our kids aren't doing well, we almost internalize that. It's like, we're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's like looking for that outside and well I have these other kids to validate that I really do do a good job right. just because like Johnny's like setting the school on fire like that doesn't mean I'm not a good parent it's like no it's <laughs> like you're still a good parent like even if your kids are having like you know big behaviors and things like that like yeah so like basically like finding that validation within yourself because if you're looking for like external proof of it then you maybe you get it but right. maybe you don't and then you're always looking for it though we need more people to say that I think to parents because there yeah. is this societal expectation like oh my goodness did you see Judy's daughter is in rehab again like what did Judy <laughs> do to you know raise this kid who's in rehab three times type of thing we need more people to go no no that's not you were a good parent yeah. you are a good parent your child made some bad choices <laughs> so right. or whatever right. your your child's having a day he's having a moment he's whatever that looks like yeah, as I say, I I like, have you ever heard someone say, and he was raised by a single full-time working mom and mean it as a compliment? Probably right, not. <laughs> right. Yeah, very right. true. You know, and so like to be like, well, you know, he's just come from a broken home. I've heard that one, you know, not, not about my son, but I've heard right. it about other people. And I'm like, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> right. You know, I'm single, right? But okay, that's fine. Right. Um, yeah, so that's my answer. <laughs> We'll stick with it. <laughs> Question number two, if you had one hour all to yourself, how would you spend it? I love naps. Naps are great. <laughs> um, I mean, it depends on the day. I mean, like, yeah, um, naps, reading, I've been doing a lot. I I'm actually producing a podcast right now. So I've been Yay. spending, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time with that. And I realized, I'm like, wow, I have a lot to say. So I've been like trying, I've been like editing myself down. <laughs> right. So yeah, I like, I don't know. I, there's so many things I like to do. I live in a lovely area. I love to take walks. I, you know, yeah. love the shop. It depends on the day and my mood. Like yeah. going to like the local coffee shop and just like hanging out. Like, I'm pretty easy. Well, that's good. And speaking of coffee, how many cups of coffee are you drinking these days? Oh, probably like two to three, maybe depending on the day and depending on like if I'm having an Americano or just something like right. <laughs> I'm having something really strong or really light. Yep. But we have, we have this really lovely coffee shop near us that um, employs people with um, intellectual and developmental oh, Okay. We have a, a their, similar thing. Yeah. Because part of their mission is um, employing people with disabilities because they are wildly un underemployed. Okay. So um, oh, I like I, that. that's, like a, that's like a spot that I like to go to and they have really good coffee as well. Okay. Well, this has been fun. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better and getting to know a few more self-care techniques and things that I should be doing and other caregivers should be doing. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and your services? Sure. So I'm on Instagram at the autism mom coach. And I also have a Facebook group by the same name, but really you can get all the same information essentially on both of them. So you can, if you want to join the, the Facebook page, it's the autism mom coach. And, um, you just, um, it, for, for parents of moms of parents, moms of kids with autism, whereas, okay. you know, the Instagram page, anybody can, anybody can follow. And my website is the autismmomcoach.com where I offer a, a free consultation for people who are interested in my coaching program. And I walk them through my process and it's really about seeing, you know, where they are, where they want to be and how we can get them there. But, um, you know, the main message that I like, start and I tell all my moms and all 
is that we have more power than we think. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us feel, you know, really overwhelmed by, you know, our circumstances at times and because, you know what, they are overwhelming. But I think if, if there's one thing that I've learned in my experience over the last, you know, 11 years is that we are the environment and we have so much that we can control and what we ultimately focus on are the things that we can't. And so mm -hmm. trying to shift our focus from what we can't control to what we can control. And that is us. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty amazing, like, you know, what the things that you can accomplish and really the stuff, it's also really amazing the things you can stop doing when you learn that, because um, when you realize that you only can do so much and what you're doing is good enough, you sort of release the reins on yourself and all the pressure that we put on ourselves. Yeah, I think you stated that perfectly. I think we're going to end there. Um, <laughs> you only have right. so many, you only have so many yeses in a day. So choose your yes wisely. And um, thank you again so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this. And yeah, thank look, you for having me. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what you do in the world. Thank you. Thank you oh, so definitely. much. And thank you for your book. I just listened to it last night and I really enjoyed it. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, plug out there for Blended with Grit and Grace. <laughs> yeah. Bye, everyone. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks for listening today. If you want to know more about The Lucas Project, find us at thelucasproject.org. If you want to know more about my story, head to justplusthemess.com, and while there, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, or maybe check out my memoir, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. In the meantime, please hit subscribe and maybe leave a quick review. These are so important in the podcast world as they help us gain traction and recognition which translates into helping more caregivers. And until our next conversation, let's do what we do best. Just keep living.